chapter 13 this morning, Romans 13. I don't know how many of you, which it's not a big deal at all, how many of you uh, check for the title of the sermon in the bulletin, but if you ever wanted an inflammatory or provocative title for a sermon, I suppose this one qualifies. Subordination to government as the worship of God. That's a timely message for the church in America today, isn't it? We currently live under a government and have for some time that does not deserve our subordination. It has not earned our trust. It has not earned our respect. It violates the Word of God every single day. But the Word of God stands in what it calls us to do. Remember what Paul's opponents were saying about his gospel. Your gospel has no power, Paul. But Paul argues that the gospel itself is the power of God. You just need to let it loose for salvation and to renew minds and transform persons in 12, 1 and 2 that kicked off this new section for the new creation. That is the new humanity in Christ, buried with Him in baptism, raised with Him to newness of life by the power of the Spirit back in Romans 6. The gospel creates a new Worship for the people of God in Christ. Quote, pilgrims trekking through this world as though already raised from the dead, living sacrifices in their vocations and stations in life. End quote. This morning, yet another demonstration of the power of the gospel at work this way is the orderly way in which Christians live their lives as members of a society governed under certain, you know, various political Frameworks. Paul will say this morning, for example, you pay taxes, you do it as an act of worship, fulfilling your station in life as a citizen of the society in which you live, where God has placed you. Paul, uh, in this sphere also, life as citizens of a government, of a society, we are also living sacrifices to God. Paul moves from the body of Christ, whose every member serves the whole in one's calling and function in 12.3 to 13, then to Christians as they worship God in everyday life as a part of humanity, even among our persecutors and our enemies in 12.14 to 21. This brings the relationships of human beings to each other under God into view in our position in the social and political order in which we live, which is the topic this morning in 13.1 through 7. Our proper posture and behavior in these relationships, or in this relationship to government as Christians, as citizens, is also a part of the new worship brought about by the gospel of Christ. We subject ourselves to the governing authorities under which we live as a matter of worship to God, who instituted them and gave them for His own purpose in the world. Let me pray and we'll dig into this passage. Father, we are thankful for Your grace and for Your mercy that You describe to us and proclaim to us in the Word that we have in front of us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, please help me preach. Please be with me. Please overshadow and speak through me so that the words I speak are not mine, but Yours. God, strengthen me by Your Spirit. Enable everyone to hear, O God. Enable us to listen even when texts are hard and it's hard to understand exactly what the implications are in light of where and when we live. God, be with us, all of us, to receive Your Word this morning as 
the proclamation of life. And in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Let me read the first seven verses here of chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Man, that's a, that's a powerful verse. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So there's a biblical and theological way to think about government and governing authorities, which is what Paul is giving us here. We need this. We need to have our minds trained by the Word of God because we will not default to what is pleasing to Him. We will default by nature, by instinct, to what is pleasing to or best for ourselves as far as we can see, as far as we know. And so without the guidance of God's Word, we would just wing it when it comes to government and ruling authorities. But one way in which we become living sacrifices as an act of worship to God is to sacrifice our instincts and impulses by subjecting ourselves to governing authorities. Why? Because God is the Lord. That's why. Because there is no authority that exists unless God is the one who created it. And so all the authorities that do exist, that we live under in the world right now, have been created by God. Therefore, we subordinate ourselves to them. In fact, to do the opposite, to resist them, is to resist what God has appointed in verse 2, and for so doing will incur judgment. And what the text seems to be implying here as we come into verse 3, is that the judgment we incur for not subjecting ourselves to government is actually the judgment of God through the government's ruling authority. These rulers under which we live that God has appointed aren't to be feared by those that obey the law, but by those that resist it and break it. God says if we don't want to live in constant fear of authority, then we need to be subject to it. Since the precise reason it's there is to punish bad conduct. This is God's design, His intent for governing authority. To the degree then that a government keeps order by punishing wrongdoers, it is God's servant for our good. Your good in verse 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Now, you kill people with swords. You kill them. Swords are weapons of power and of violence. You don't take up a sword to have a friendly banter or to spank somebody or to slap them on the wrist. Swords run people through. The governing authorities are God's avengers to carry out His wrath on wrongdoers in this world. 
So one of the means, when we read back in chapter 1 that God has given people over in His wrath to pursue their own desires and their own instincts and natures, one of the means the sovereign God of Romans pours out His wrath on sin is by giving governing authorities the power to punish civic evil and wrong. It is God who is against such evil. And these are the means by which He punishes it and curbs it. So the first reason, as we come into verse 5, that we as Christians should be subject to governing authorities is to avoid God's wrath. Don't break the law. Don't get in the way of the law. And you should be fine. We are all a part of a network of relationships in our lives as people that have a certain order to them. Right? You think of husbands and wives and older people and younger people, etc., etc. A large part of what the New Testament is doing is teaching us how we worship God as living sacrifices in these various relationships. In 13, 1-7, through 7, Paul is answering the question, how do our new lives as living sacrifices to God worship Him as it pertains to our relationship to governing authorities as Christians who are also citizens? What kind of citizens of a society are worshipers of God called to be? The essence of what Paul is saying here can apply really to almost any government, citizen or authority, you know, subject type of relationship, monarchies, clans, tribes, uh, large governments filled with administration. When we see Paul, though, uh, talking about the sword uh, that governing authorities don't bear in vain or paying taxes in verse 6, it's clear he's speaking mainly to these Christians who lived as citizens under the Roman Empire. So think big government, lots of laws, lots of administration. That should sound very familiar. All right, you don't believe that there's red tape? Go to the DMV. Goodness sakes. Like, what is wrong? You didn't bring your library card from the third grade, so we can't do it today. So, you and I ought to read this text this morning then as particularly applicable to us because we live under the same type of large government and its authority. Uh, you can't even fish in America without the government's permission. Not legally, anyway. And that brings us to the elephant in the room this morning, doesn't it? Are we supposed to be subject to governing authorities when they are evil and go beyond what God prescribed governing authorities to do? Yes, to a point. Okay, to a point. So let's talk about it. Notice the second reason in verse 5 that we're called to be in subjection to governing authorities is for the sake of conscience. Right. Paul will go on to say in verses 6 and 7 that this is the reason our conscience is that we should pay taxes and give to all what is owed to them. How, how do people come to have this owed to them? Because of what God has established. If God has established an office that deserves respect, we owe it respect, etc., etc., right? Taxes, revenue, respect, honor. What Christ has done for us in the Gospel, which is what is driving the bus here, remember, not just a moral, orderly way to live ethically, but this is gospel-motivated life. What Christ has done for us in the gospel is meant to affect everything in our lives, even the profoundly personal things that are matters of conscience. 
We are recipients of grace all the time. We have an inheritance being kept in heaven for us that we did nothing to earn. We are the freest people on the planet, no matter what our government is doing. All our debt has been paid. All our sins forgiven. All our shame covered. All our guilt washed away. All on somebody else's dime. Christ for us. That's the gospel. Christ for us. So we spend our lives in subjection and service to others as God would have us because our whole lives now, even as citizens in a society, are avenues of worship to God. And we worship Him. We put the focus on Him as worthy of all as citizens by being subject to governing authorities. Notice how this is also a matter of maintaining a good conscience. In other words, we damage our own consciences, which you should never do as a living sacrifice to God, if we try to maintain our allegiance to Him while resisting the authorities He set up in the world. We're going to have trouble living. We're going to be at conflict within. A conflicted, double-minded person that James says is unstable in all his ways. We just we can't do it. And have a clear conscience before God. In 12.18, Paul told us when speaking specifically of our enemies and our persecutors, which may one day, or will one day, be state-sponsored by these very governing authorities to which we are called to be subject, that we are to live peaceably with all as much as it depends on us. And a lot of it depends on us. But you see that here in 13. You can live peaceably with governing authorities by not breaking the law. Number one, that goes for everybody in the world. As long as we can avoid getting in the government's crosshairs, we should do it. No matter the tax rate. Which is, we revolted in 1775 over like a 2% tax rate. You know what the tax rate is today? To our own government? This is about 24%. No matter our opinion of the president. We respect his office of authority. No matter our thoughts on whether these governing authorities deserve any honor, our subjection to them is precisely what it means to give them what they are owed. Now, why would God call us to this when he knows, just generally speaking, the more power someone has, the more corrupt they become. And if you institutionalize and validate such power, the potentiality for horrific things to happen is exponential. Why make us be subject to governing authorities that openly hate our God and mock His Son and ignore and disregard or disdain His truth? Why? We'll get to that in just a little bit here, I promise. But for now, the issue is this. Are we always to be subject to governing authorities, follow the law, and do what they say? Always. No exceptions. I believe Scripture gives us a glimpse into the parameters. that there are. I think there are parameters laid out for us in Scripture. What it does mean and what it doesn't mean to be subject to them. The text is hard to accept. So let's talk first about what it clearly does mean. We are to be subject to the governing authorities as God's servants to keep the peace in the world. Again, we, we pay our taxes. They, they have the authority to set up such a system. We follow the law. We don't try to find ways to get around it, even if it's annoying to us. If we push back, we should expect to get punished. That's God's order. 
We are subject to them as long and as much as we can be until it's literally impossible. Now, what that means is what makes this text so hard to accept. If their laws aren't commanding us to sin and violate our conscience, we follow them. We obey them. When we do need to disobey, we need to find a way to do it with respect and as peaceably as possible, at least as much as it depends on us. So I don't believe we can get involved in insurrections or rebellions in good conscience. I believe in our society, for example, there are laws or policies that give us the opportunity to dissent. And those are the lanes we can stay in. We can vote, for example. We can impeach. We have legal recourse. As long as elections have integrity, which would be nice, but as long as elections have integrity, we can use them as a means of dissent by voting out politicians and leaders that are going against God's authority for them and what He's given them to do. God did not give governing authorities to establish morality, but to punish evil according to what God says is evil. Remember, this does not mean, none of this means that governing authorities are not accountable themselves to God to do what He told them and created them to do. Of course they are. Just work through the text there. If, if God created these authorities and ordain them, they are obligated to serve Him, first of all. But even more so, the categories. You have categories here by which they're supposed to use their authority or govern with authority. You have good and bad. Those things do exist. They're objective. They're not subjective. Right? And you don't want them to be subjective. You think in your own heart, no, I want to be able to establish what is right and wrong. If everybody's allowed to establish what is right and wrong, there is no law... You can't condemn or say anything is evil. And everything inside us rages when we see evil. We know it when we see it. Right? Think of some of the worst things that have ever been done. Public, horrible atrocities done in the world. Everybody knows inside when they see that. That's evil. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. That comes from being made in the image of God. So that means if they're supposed to punish bad and reward good, and God is the one defining the terms, they're accountable to Him. If they don't let God's truth be the means by which they determine what is good or bad, they're accountable to Him as going against what He gave them to do. So under that umbrella, we subordinate ourselves to them. That's our role in this relationship between citizen and government. But I do think at the end of the day, from a policy perspective, we leave place for God's wrath and trust that what God allows them to do serves a purpose beyond what we can see. I don't think biblically we can get involved in insurrections or assassination plots, etc. Now, I also want to say that that's very easy for me to say. Right? We're not oppressed yet to the point where pushing back like that um, feels right. Um, th- think of people like Um, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a Christian in Germany during World War II and um, was involved in a very serious plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Well, I'm not going to question Dietrich Bonhoeffer there. I mean, what what is a man of God supposed to do when all these Jewish people are getting murdered right in front of him? Like, what do you do? So, 
you have the principle that I think is clear, but then you have this muddy area where, yeah, but do we just stand by and watch? Like that's, I think, we, in other words, should that time come, we need to make sure we're following the word and that we're acting in wisdom because we, we can't just pop off. Like, so we need to, we need to act with wisdom. We need to act knowing that we probably don't know exactly what step to take. And so pray in faith and act in faith that whatever step we take, God will be with us and still be our Savior, right? So I don't want to make it so absolute and bind your conscience. I can't, I can't do that. And by the way, when I say insurrection and all that, I'm not referring to the alleged insurrection on January 6th. That wasn't an insurrection. Why, Tony? Because your politics? No. Because I'm not willfully blind or ignorant. Okay, so I'm not talking about that. When you hear that, now that word insurrection, everybody's mind goes right to, oh, that horrible thing that was just as bad as 9-11. Okay, so we have to reckon with what the Scripture is telling us here. The Apostle Peter will say something so crazy along these lines that it's hard to fathom when we consider... In other words, it is much. it would have been much harder to hear this as a Roman citizen of the Roman Empire than it is for us as Americans. It would have been much harder. And yet, they're commanded certain things in something that difficult, so we are clearly commanded such things in something not as difficult and burdensome as being a citizen of the Roman Empire. And in the midst of that, and how vital or violent and brutal Roman authority was for Christians in particular, into the 60s AD, when the inbred psycho Nero was in charge... 1 Peter 2.17, he writes, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, Nero wasn't the emperor when Peter wrote 1 Peter 5, or 1 Peter, but none of the emperors were good to Christians, really. Even Claudius, I think he kicks him out in 49 AD of Jerusalem, and that's because at that time they still thought they were kind of, Christianity was like a Jewish thing. And, and Judaism had certain protections under Roman law because they didn't perceive it as a threat. Once it became clear that Christianity is not like Judaism, that's when the horrible persecution of Nero and things like that kicked in. But honor the emperor? Are you crazy? Peter, are you crazy? The emperor is owed honor from Christians? Beloved, yes. That's way different than saying honor your president. Honor the emperor? You mean the guy who's actively seeking us out to kill us and hates us? Show him honor? It doesn't mean you lick his boots. It doesn't mean you worship him, but you honor him because of this position of authority he has. Emperors kill Christians. Peter says, I know. Honor them. Honor them. Their authority derives from God and God alone. You can trust him. You can trust that by honoring him and obeying the Lord, the Lord is not going to renege on his promises to you or change his mind. Just do what he says. This does not mean that God approves of everything that emperors or presidents do or that everything they do is good or right or even legal. This doesn't mean that. We all know that doesn't happen, no matter who's in charge most of the time. This does not mean that these political governing authorities are God's servants in the sense that they're doing what God wants them to do and serving Him on purpose to do His will on purpose. It doesn't mean that. It means the Sovereign Lord has a purpose He means to accomplish in this world. 
And law and order is a means to that end. As well as his people's subjection even to authorities that are dead set against them. All we need to do at the end of the day is look at the life of Jesus. A good way to test our own hearts in the matter of subjecting ourselves to governing authorities biblically. To wonder how far our subordination is supposed to go. Is to ask ourselves if what our government is doing is the same or worse than what the Roman Empire and its emperor were doing to Christians when Peter told them to honor the emperor. How much should we honor them? Well, is it as bad as Nero yet? Is it as bad as Caligula yet? Almost. Almost. These instructions are particularly hard for us as American Christians because we have all these personal rights granted to us. And a lot of times we think of all of them, any right we have, we think of it as a God-given right, a God-established right, which may or may not be the case. But because of that, anything the government infringes on, we tend to resist it. Now, you can make a good argument that the law of the land is actually the Constitution. And so that's what we're to subject ourselves to, but it, the, again, the water is going to get muddy because people make laws and they're, you know, they're trying to amend it all the time and change it. And so Paul's instruction for us here from the Holy Spirit do not mean we worship our leaders or that they're good people or that we approve of every decision they make or agree with their policies and do everything they say, even when it means sin for us. This does mean that unless and until they command us to sin, unless and until to obey them would require disobeying God, we keep our mouths shut, we pay our taxes, we toe the line. Again, we'll get into why in the conclusion. Now, we are in the position to talk about what these commands for us do not mean. In Acts 5, the apostles of Jesus Christ were doing so many signs and wonders in Jerusalem, having been filled with the Holy Spirit for the sake of the gospel, and are proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus from the dead so boldly that the high priest and all the Jewish religious authorities arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison in chapter 5, verse 18 of Acts. When they finally end up bringing them before the council, which is an authority these apostles were under as citizens of Jerusalem, and strictly charge them not to teach in the name of Jesus. So are they to be subject to the governing authorities? Or they said we can't preach to Jesus, so we can't preach Jesus. Peter and the apostles answered that charge in verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. And there it is. There it is. What is the biblically prescribed limit of our subjection to governing authorities. Because it doesn't matter what I think or when I think enough is enough. That's irrelevant now. We are living sacrifices. Our lives are not our own. We were bought with a price by a Savior who owns us, who lets us live for His sake, that told us to be subject to them. So when, when does the Bible say or does it say enough is enough? Yes. When being subject to the governing authorities of my society would mean not being subject to God. When following their law would mean breaking God's. When honoring their authority would mean sinning against God's authority. 
as it would have been in Acts 5 to stop preaching Jesus because their authorities told them to. Jesus trumps everything. If the government gives us this 24% tax rate, we pay our taxes, beloved. I can vote, etc. I can disagree. I can pray and work to put leaders in place that won't steal like that from the citizenry. Citizens, forget. I'm not going to be able to say that word. But if the government uses its authority to say, you can no longer preach in the name of Jesus Christ in your church, you can no longer use the Bible, you may no longer preach that Jesus is the only true God, then we say, with as much respect as we're able of having, no, we dissent. We will not stop preaching Jesus. Do your worst. God did not give governing authorities the authority to undo His Word. That's not what they're for. Government is not meant to be the backbone of a society. If the government uses its authority to say things like, you must perform same-sex marriages in your church, we say with respect and with honor to the position of authority, Our God teaches that homosexuality is a sin and marriage is between one man and one woman. We dissent. We will not perform those marriages, so do your worst. God did not give governing authorities the authority to undo His Word. This text is about the relationship between the governing authorities and the Christian as a citizen of a society. So this text also does not mean that the government's civil authority overrides the authority of, say, the home. If I decide to teach my kids that critical race theory is evil and unbiblical, or that the LGBTQ plus movement means to undermine creation and God's order and is a horrible threat, especially to children, and that gender reassignment surgery is yet another tool of Satan to dismember and destroy little children in particular, because he hates the image of God. And again, we're, we're not saying how we treat the people that are for these things. We are called to be forgiving and loving and kind and proclaim the gospel. We don't get to be cruel and mean to people because we don't like them. And our tone needs to match the gospel's content. Our tone needs to match the gospel's content. However, even if the government pushes all these things through its educational agenda... It has overstepped the limits God has given to it. It has no authority to tell us what we will teach our children. None. That's true in a Christian home, in a Muslim home, in whatever kind of home you want to think of. The government does not have the authority to command us what to teach our children. It does not take a village. Stay away from my kids. I'm sick of it. And it's easy to grandstand up here as a pastor. Those are my children. They're not yours. And they don't belong to the school, and they don't belong to the state. Government has zero authority to override the parent. The only reason we do subject ourselves to the government's authority when we can is because God told us to. Notice there in verse 6 that the governing authorities to which we're called to subject ourselves were given parameters by God for what they may use their authority to do. They should only be attending to those things, you'll notice in the passage, which God says will make them a terror to bad conduct, 
but approval to that which is good. When they go beyond that, they've gone too far. So what if a governing authority commands an action that is contrary to the word of God and an abomination to the Christian faith? This happens. Some of these I'll mention happen here. Some don't, but some are happening like in places like China. You have to abort one or more of your pregnancies for the sake of population control. You have to perform same-sex marriages. You can't meet to worship because there's a pandemic. Man, did I mess up on that one. Forgive me. Forgive me. Please. Never again. You can't preach what the Bible says about this topic or that. Then we say, we must obey God rather than men. I was obeying you because God told me to. And now you're telling me to disobey Him. And the answer is no. And when that time comes, beloved, we walk by faith, not by sight. There's, there's no need for, sedi- for sedition or to rebel uh, outside the avenues our Constitution legally gives us, like impeachment, things like that. By, by all means, pursue those things. In those days, we'll need to remember, especially that we're members of a heavenly city. Beloved, we are looking for a better homeland, yes, but we aren't trying to build it here. We don't have the authority to try to force the government to build a Christian nation. We don't have that. That's not what God is trying to do. His nation is the church. God will do that. He'll build a new homeland here when He brings heaven down to earth to dwell with us, but not before, not until. Biblical Christianity, then, is no threat whatsoever to civil authority. Unless that authority literally tries to command disobedience to God. We don't advance the gospel by killing. But by being living sacrifices personally that die for others so that they may live. And I'm not advocating pacifism. I'm talking about our relationship as citizens to a government. We are not above our master. The kingdom of Jesus is not of this world, but... Those rulers whose kingdoms are of this world, they've been put in place by God's authority. The words of Jesus to Pilate are in the background here. Why won't you answer me, Pilate says, the Roman prefect. Don't you know that I have the power to release you or to condemn you? Jesus says, "Uh, no, you don't. You would have no power were it not given to you by my father. But he says it with respect to Pilate. He's subjecting himself for the sake of the gospel, like the gospel to the authority of a pagan to accomplish God's will. So know that God can work through such insane looking means. You, you and I are never not children of God. We are never on like just left to the wolves like that. We are his. Even when we have to do things that seem so counterintuitive. Jesus submitted fully to Pilate's derivative authority for the sake of God's will. So I would say, accept the difficulty of submitting to this text. Pray through it. Ask the Lord to help us to submit to it in some of the confusion or uncertainty it might bring. But I would also say this. Don't misinterpret this passage and therefore cast it aside. Or try, you know, just look over it and ignore it. Let's follow this rabbit trail for just a minute, okay? Because I think, I think a text like this raises a lot of questions. Is this text teaching that we, like Jesus said, turn the other cheek when it comes to governments and authorities that try to hurt us or to harm us? 
are we as Christians just supposed to let them hurt us? Or really, what I'm talking about here is hurt our families, our wives, our children in particular. Let's think this through. Right? Does this text mean that you should just let the government walk in your house and take your kids or hurt your wife and kids? What do we do then? Hopefully shoot them before they shoot us. You can't have my kids. Defend my wife and children as I am called to do. The state can't have them. Why? Because they're mine and I'm theirs. That's not what this text is. You don't take turn the other cheek and run it through Romans 13 like that. Now, our role as citizens, who are also worshipers of God, is to subordinate ourselves unless and until we are being commanded to obey them rather than God. And their responsibility to govern like that doesn't override my God-given responsibility to be a man and protect my family. Jesus doesn't... When Jesus is talking like that about turning the other cheek and giving... When you get stolen, something gets stolen, you give it back. And That's not a template for government for society, but for us as individual Christians, individual followers of Jesus in the situations we face. And I don't even know that it's always absolute. That you would always, if you get punched in the cheek, turn around and say, alright, punch this one. Let's get it over with. I don't know. But Jesus didn't give government a template for pacifism, for welfare to the governing authorities, for how you govern and administrate every element of a society. That's not what government has been given by God to do. They do it anyway, but they're usurping God's Word. They're not submitting to it. I may, in fact, as a person, as Tony Romano, be called to turn the other cheek in my personal everyday life if you want to punch me. Absolutely. But the only cheek getting turned if you try to punch my wife, for example, is yours. That doesn't make me tough or cool, right? Like, I'm not... It's easy to sound really tough when you're in the pulpit. That's not my point here. Nobody in our church is threatening to punch my wife. Okay, so let's, I'm not talking about like, if you know, I'm saying in general. If there is, let me know. Nobody is. It's okay. No. Why, why would I, I'm a husband. Like every other husband in this room. So I'm, and I'm not even saying that as like a misogynist, right? Like, Women are delicate little flowers that are just hopeless without men. No. It's because I love my wife. Right? Men be men. Doesn't mean you have to be some giga-chad jerk. Just be a man. Have a spine. Okay? Just... Don't hurt my wife. Don't hurt my kids. Or so help me. I'll hurt you. That's, a Christian man should think that way. Okay? It's, it's not, it's not, again, it's not about being tough. It's not about being cool. Like, like, Christ died for us. He gave His life for us. Dads, we love our wives as, our husbands and dads, we love our wives as Christ loved the church. We don't provoke our children to wrath. If we need to die for them, we die for them. That's biblical. I'm not trying to be cool. And there isn't a man in here that wouldn't do that for his wife and his children. We don't have simps in here. 
Okay, you think of the nicest, kindest, godly man you know in this church. Try to hurt his wife. Don't do that. That'd be awful. I didn't just command everybody to try to hurt somebody's wife. I'm saying, I hope you understand my point. Like there's a time for a man to become something other than kind. Right? I'm, I'm not a trained military operative. And if, 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 if they, if the government rolls up on me with that, I'm going to lose. I fully accept that. I'm, I can't meet that threat. But to get to my wife and kids, brothers, we need to say, it'll have to be over my dead body. You can't have them. That Jesus is not calling us to offer up the lives of our children as sacrifices for us to stay safe. So, brothers, I would say, I know it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but let us be men. And by that, I mean kind, humble, filled with integrity, working to provide for our families being gentle and kind and loving with our children unless we have no choice but to discipline them. Let us be kind and gentle and loving and respectful to our wives. All of this, just let us also be able to become a monster if the situation calls for it. Beasts for their sake, if must be. It is a blessing when from time to time God ordains a leader that fears Him and follows Him. It's going to be rare. I don't know that we've seen that in our lifetime. But when a ruler listens to the will of God for leaders and knows what he's expected to do, what a blessing for a nation or for a people. But that isn't going to happen much. But that's not what determines whether we subordinate ourselves to them. And I really think we need to think through that deeply. Unless they're literally commanding us to sin and would be doing that by coming into our home to take our children. You're not going to teach them what we want you to teach them. We're going to take them to this camp and teach them. No, you're not. Right? So you don't, you don't subject yourself then because then you'd be usurping what God has given you to do for your family in order to obey the government. We don't do that. Unless and until we literally can't or we're sinning, we subject ourselves to them peacefully and respectfully and with honor. We are Christian citizens in a modern democratic state. A constitutional republic, actually. And as such, we have a responsibility to pray for our government. We also have the privilege and opportunity to be active in our government through voting or even by running for office. We don't need to try to force our government to enact Christian policies per se. We, we don't need to do that. You're not going to be able to legislate salvation. You'll just... We're not trying to establish a certain kind of government for society. We aren't called to put Christianity in power through legislation. The gospel doesn't work through power, but through weakness. That's when it really clicks. Not through wisdom, but through foolishness. What we need to do is pray for and vote in such a way that leaders are elected who will use their God-given authority well to curb and to punish evil and sustain and reward the good with God's objective truth defining the terms. And when they don't, or when offices are taken illegally, we wait, we trust in our God, so long as they don't cross the line and try to make us deny our God and His truth. And even if that meant they would do that by trying to hurt our families, we don't subject ourselves to that. The state's authority doesn't override the authority God has put 
in the home. Then we say with as much respect as we can for our Lord's sake, no, you may not. We must resist this. We must obey God rather than men. Beloved, why does Jesus call this church to such frustrating and maddening subordination when the governing authorities in the world are so evil? We must remember this. God is not trying to set up an earthly kingdom. His will is to save sinners through the gospel. That's what God means to accomplish here. When evil rulers rule, God isn't losing anything. He's not being thwarted in doing His will. Jesus overcame the world. Every square inch of His creation is His. It's al- it already belongs to Him. You don't need to take anything back for God. It's already His. We are living sacrifices for the Gospel's sake. Every commandment, every directive is a means to that end. To the fact that more than anything, God wants to pour out His mercy on the world and lavish us with His grace. Is wrath still going to come one day? Absolutely. Unfortunately, yes. Must we be repented and turned to the Lord? Yes, all of us. But if all God wanted to do was punish us, if the goal was to destroy and pour out wrath, we would have been dead a long time ago. He waits because He loves, He commands lives of worship of us to be living sacrifices so that in our submission even to His enemies, we might mirror Christ for the world who was punished on behalf of the guilty even though He was not who gave His life for His enemies and His oppressors because grace is that amazing and He is that loving. And in our subjection to governing authorities as worship to the Lord, we show that about our Gospel and our Savior. If we were rebels and tyrants against rebels and tyrants, they wouldn't see any Jesus in that. Jesus gave Himself up completely. He didn't sin. He became sin for you and I. In all these decisions we have to make in our everyday lives as good citizens, we all, even Christians, we're going to mess up. We're going to sin. Sometimes we're going to get it wrong. If in nothing else than just by not being able to stop hating some of the governing authorities and what they do. That's a sin, beloved. We can't do that. So this isn't going to be easy. So this morning, hear the comfort of the Gospel that God may repent you back to Himself. When I say all those things about fighting back and shooting, I I mean, I assume I'm right. I just, But at the end of the day, like, let's be honest with ourselves. When the stuff hits the fan and they're in your home trying to take your kids, you're going to fight back. God be with me. right? I, I, I don't really know exactly what is right to do in every situation, but I know God's grace is greater than my sin. And if I'm not willfully saying, I don't care what your word says, I'm going to sin, I, I don't need to be afraid. Right? We hear the comfort of the Gospel. That having done our best to honor God by submitting to His Word, When we do sin and fall short, His forgiveness is greater than our sin. So we subject ourselves to the governing authorities under which we live as a matter of worship to God who instituted and gave them for His own purpose in the world. So don't worry. Don't get stressed because it seems like no matter what we do, we can't fix this place. 
we're never going to fix this place. And it stinks because we live here. But God is on His throne for the world and for you. For you. Do not be afraid. He loves you. He cares for you. What can man do to you? At the end of the day, no matter what they do or what they take, we are safe in the arms of our God. Receive His promise. Would you stand? Please?